What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. Leaders, welcome back. So glad that you are here. This has been so fun and I am, you know, I was just telling somebody this week on LinkedIn, they were asking me, they're getting ready to start a podcast. And I was telling them how much I love doing this. I love meeting leaders from around the world and interviewing them for this podcast. I love hearing from you leaders that are making a difference with the things that you're learning from these principles and doing something with that in your context. And so thank you for sharing that. Please keep sharing that with us. Uh, You can text our business number at 757-354-1543 or share some stuff on social media, on Facebook or on LinkedIn with us. We just love hearing your story and the amazing things that you're doing and how you're applying these principles that we've all learned. And so today, man, this is one that you're going to want to add to your toolbox because we're going to talk about engagement engagement at work. We're going to talk about it with Jacqueline Troop Robinson. She's the founder of Spark Engagement Incorporated, a global analytics company and human resources that focuses on employee engagement. Throughout her 30-year career, Jacqueline has focused on uplifting leaders and inspiring passionate engagement at all levels of an organization. I love these principles that she shared. Um, She's a best-selling author of the book, Fire Up Your Team, 50 Ways for Leaders to Connect, Collaborate, and Create with Their Teams. And as you'll hear in the podcast, she actually has a new book coming out this year that she's excited to share with us. Uh, She strives to create cultures of passion, productivity, and performance. The book that she wrote has even been described by one reviewer as the most important personal development book you'll read all year. Wow. Wow. And you know what? In the conversation that I've had with her, she just shares great thought-provoking insights about passionate engagement at work, how you can do that, and how as a leader, uh, where some of your responsibility comes into that. So uh, if you're not driving uh, and you're ready to take some notes, take some notes on this. Uh, But more importantly, let's uh, apply the things that we learned from Jacqueline. So uh, excited to introduce you to Jacqueline Troop Robinson. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I am so excited to have with me this evening, Jacqueline Troop Robinson. Jacqueline, how are you? I am fantastic, and thank you for having me on your show. Yes, it's such a privilege. I, uh, I've been reading a lot about you and the work that you do, and so this idea of passionate engagement at work, I think, is something that uh, a lot of people are going to find a lot of benefit from you tonight. Well, I think we're all in search of that in one way or the other. <laughs> so uh, speaking of passionate engagement at work, what's maybe like a first job that you did uh, in your life and, and a lesson that you learned from one of your first jobs in life? Well, it's interesting. My, my first job in life was actually a leadership position and it seems oh, really? really kind of crazy now in hindsight. 
I was fresh out of graduate school and ended up at a party and someone was looking to recruit people for a very large corporation and they were looking for people who had a very specific skill set. It happened to be in my area. And so the next thing I know at 24 years old, I am managing a very large team of people. I'm definitely the youngest on the team. Wow. And I really didn't know what I was doing from a leadership point of view. I had a technical expertise and that's why I'd gotten hired. And a lot of managers find themselves in that position, right? Yeah, because absolutely. Better expertise, all of a sudden, here they are leading a team of people. And I didn't have any training and it was crazy. And <laughs> I was even managing seven collective agreements and didn't even understand that when you are at the negotiating table, the union sits on one side and the management sit on the other. I walked in the room and I sat down beside the shop steward. He thought I was playing mind games with him. I just had no idea you weren't supposed to be friendly. So, um, but it was really kind of funny because my colleagues at the time started to give me a hard time about it. And I just thought, wait now, this isn't a humane environment. What, what is this all about? And I think being so naive and really unskilled when it comes to leadership was probably a good thing for me in that environment. I mean, it led to people hassling me a bit, but I just kind of went back to core values and thinking about my mom and dad and what they taught me about people. And, you know, my parents were laborers, my both, both blue collar workers, my mother cleaned houses and my father was a caregiver at an inn and they held their head high because they knew they had done a good day's work. And so they kept telling me throughout my entire life, you just have to be good to people and you have to trust people. Mm. And so that's just how I decided to lead. And it was, it was tough at times because my colleagues didn't quite appreciate that <laughs> naive sure. approach, but I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting. It was a great lesson because I was given a team of people who had been struggling to perform. I didn't know that, of course. And just by trusting them and respecting what they brought to the table and trying to do my best to give them something in return uh, in support of what they were trying to achieve, we turned that team around and ended up outperforming everyone else. And I think you know, going from, I don't know why they hired me, I don't know what I'm doing, to having the highest performing team hmm. without really buying into any of the sort of best practices at the time, which, I mean, I'm going back to the 80s. So this was not, you know, it was a different time, but sure. um, just to trust people. And throughout my entire leadership career from that moment on, and now that I'm, you know, I've been a consultant for a long time now, have my own business, trust has always been the cornerstone because I, I see the benefits of it. I learned that really early on, which was fantastic. Mm. Do you think we, the further we go along in our career, sometimes we blind ourselves to those easy things like valuing and trusting other people and we just make it more complex than maybe it needs to be sometimes? I think sometimes we can. And I, I mean, I love models and theories. I have developed my own. So, you know, yeah. I, I love them because I think they can be helpful. Um, but I agree with you. I think core values are really the backbone of leadership. And mm -hmm. then from that, I think the models can be really helpful. And, 
you know, yeah. the structures and whatever theory you want to learn and apply. But I think without that backbone of core values, I think leaders struggle. And I find interestingly, more and more, I'm, I'm doing more work in that space. And, and I think it's because leaders are starting to understand that what's expected of them today is to be more authentic, is to lead yeah. not just from the mind, but from the heart. And you know, that's very much the space of passion at work, which is what we research, of course, and sort of bringing the heart and, and head together in a way that um, matters to people and makes a difference to them in their work, right? Yeah, that's what we all want, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I think men, when many of us start out, we have, you know, dreams and aspirations and high hopes and I think it's easy to get disconnected from that and yeah. to maybe you know settle for things because there are other things happening in your life that are also important and yeah. and i think sometimes it's hard to believe you can have it all and i think you can have it all but i think there is a secret sauce to passion at work and and uh doesn't mean it's not work but uh there we, we've been really fortunate to kind of find our way through this research and data to kind of find what are the critical drivers of passion at work. And, and it's simple, haha. <laughs> you know, coming back to our earlier comments, like it isn't complicated. Um, we, a number of years ago now, interviewed about well over 200 people. And these people had been nominated by their employers, their managers, their leaders, their CEOs, as being passionate about their work. Mm. And so we had a series of questions we asked them, and then we looked at all this data to try to figure out what was happening. You know, what was happening beneath the surface that led to these people having so much passion for their work. And it came down to two main drivers. These people all saw their work as highly meaningful. Mm. It's a subjective state. Yep. It can, it's not about the job. It's not about your title. It's really about how you locate meaning in your work, but highly meaningful. And they also saw that they were making progress against those things that mattered to them. So a high mm. sense of progress. They were feeling there was forward momentum. They were feeling that they were having impact. They were making a difference. And those two things have to both be in place. So we learned it's not enough just to care. I, I think, you know, organizations have done a lot of work around meaning in the workplace, vision, yeah. values, um, you know, all sorts of work has been done to try to create a sense of, of meaning in work. Um, yeah. But what we learned is meaning alone is not enough. You know, if you don't feel like you're getting somewhere, if you don't feel like you're having an impact or making a difference, instead of being passionate, you end up frustrated, right? Because yeah. you care so much and you don't feel the progress. And uh, so, yeah, so maintaining a high sense of meaning in your work and ensuring that you are celebrating your achievements and accomplishments and ensuring that you are appreciating the progress you actually are making really fuels this sense of passion at work. Now, so, so it's, it's about managing those two drivers hmm. now that is simple on the surface and can, and has of course some complexity once you actually put it into, into practice, but it really does come down to managing those two drivers of meaning and progress. Can, so as you're saying that it's, uh, 
meaning and progress. When I've been most fulfilled in my career, that's what that's those are the two things. Those are like the two pedals on a bike. And I feel like I'm I'm moving, you know. But uh is that all within the control of the person that's like a worker? Like if I'm not a leader of a team, but I'm working on a team, uh, is it my job to bring meaning to that work or is it somebody else's job to bring meaning to that work? That's such a good question. So um this doesn't always make me popular, but I really believe this, that passion is a choice. Okay. Yeah. And so it's about how you locate meaning in your work and how you choose to frame for progress. However, what I will say is the people around you, so it might be your manager, your leader, can also be your teammates, your environment certainly sure. makes it easier to be passionate about your work, yeah. or more difficult, right? So the environment definitely is a factor, but not an excuse. Yeah. And we came to this work about 20 years ago and we were doing leadership training and we were working in all sorts of different organizations and some were fantastic and some were hard. And we didn't always have a lot of success working with leadership teams. Some teams are ready for the work, other teams aren't. And we really wanted to leave individuals with something tangible that they could understand that this is their experience to own. And so we started doing work where we started helping people really think about where you get meaning at work, really think about what are your signals of progress. And once you locate them, really nurture them. So for example, it's not uncommon to find people who are dependent on others for feedback, for example. Sure. They're dependent on others, right? To sort of say, job well done. Now that's great when that happens, but if you happen to have a boss who's not big on feedback, you know, are you going to let that rob you of being passionate? Yeah. Right? You just yeah. can't, you know, yeah. life's too short. You gotta say, all right, I have a boss who doesn't give feedback. That's just how it is. I can certainly request it. I can explain why it's important to me. I can, I can certainly take those actions. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't wanna have someone else decide whether I'm gonna be passionate in my work or not, yeah. right? So then it becomes, where do I seek out that feedback? How do I give that to myself? How do I find other sources? Feedback is just one example, but it's one that sometimes people uh, over rely on others for. And yeah, of course we teach leaders to give feedback. It is critical but it, it's not an excuse for not being fully engaged in your own work. Yeah. I found that when I've had those, those types of managers that don't give me what I need, it's almost like it, they're kind of like the sandpaper rubbing off some of the rough edges on me that maybe I needed to learn this to become a little bit smoother at this and this season of life, even though I might need that or want that. They, it's, it's kind of helped me to grow and have to learn how to, pivot and do something different in this season of life. Well, that's another great example. So when you're, when you're looking for signals of progress, if, if you do really value feedback, that's, that's awesome. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But what are some other signals of, of, of progress can you find? Like, how can you pivot? I like that word for that. Hmm. Because what can happen is we can over-focus on a need and miss other things. Yeah. Right. And I've been there, done that many times in my of, life. So. Yeah, I think we all have. Right. I think we all have. And yet, you know, we talk a lot about making progress visible. 
and really noticing all the progress you're making and, and putting structures in place to help you see that. Um, like with our clients, sometimes it uh, depends what they are, how they work. But for example, it's not uncommon for people to have team meetings every week, every two weeks. And it's so interesting. So often we focus on what's left to do. Yeah. Right. We just don't acknowledge progress. We don't acknowledge overcoming obstacles, small wins, the bright spots. And we just kind of skim over all that and focus mm. on what didn't go well and what we need to do next. And so that's important. Learning from mistakes is important, but we also need to be giving ourselves this constant sense of, yeah, we are making a difference. We are getting there. Um, not faking it, but real progress that we actually see and, and, and do experience, but we don't always value it because we're so focused on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That reminds me, I, I just finished reading this book by Mike Weeking, the guy that did the little book of Huga, and it was about memories and uh, his newest one that came out, I think last year. And what I loved about it was he said, you know, as you're going through like peaks and struggles and things like that, it's so important to keep documenting that stuff and going back to it because that's how our brain kind of builds a wiring of, uh, of accomplishment. Like what you're saying, like if, if I'm looking for progress, I've got to keep revisiting the things that have worked and even the struggles that haven't worked. Yes, that is absolutely true. Cause those struggles that haven't worked, what we've found in order for it to fuel passion like if, if it's been a disappointment or a struggle, you have to think about what you gained from that struggle, how, yeah. what you learned from that mistake. And that will give you an instant hit of progress if you can frame it that way. So we call it framing for progress. Mm. And, but it's very interesting what he's saying about the neuroscience there because that is true. And it's interesting. I was working with this IT team and they were beaten down. Like they had been on a project for three years. It still wasn't over. And they were just discouraged. And we did a very simple thing. I put two flip charts up in the front of the room. One was project accomplishments to date. What's left was on the other one. And we started with accomplishments to date. They filled three flip chart pages. Wow. Three. We went to what was left, half a page. <laughs> now, what was left was a bit tricky. So sure. there, there were some real issues, but just having gone through that exercise of reminding themselves that the two or three years that they had already invested had been extremely productive, but they were just so focused on the mm. current obstacles yeah. that they couldn't get past that. But what we've learned is when you really manage that sense of progress, it creates incredible resilience. So that when you hit those struggles or those obstacles, you go, okay, yeah, this is a drag maybe. <laughs> but, but, you know, we've, we've overcome other obstacles in the past. We've had all this progress and it does create resilience, which helps you persevere, right? And those things yeah. are very related. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about progress because that's the piece that people often miss. I think people kind of intuitively understand that your work has to have a sense of purpose. You have to feel like you're living your values. You know, I think people are more familiar with that idea of the importance of finding meaning in your career and in your work. But I think the progress piece is what 
what has been getting ignored. Hmm. Do you think that's been a, a change like by generation? Because uh, er, in I guess then the kind of the follow up question is when I think about like my grandpa, like he he went worked thirty five years for a place, and it was like it was duty, right? Like that was kind of like that's a word that I would use to describe his work life. But uh, did he need progress just as much? But he just didn't get it, and so he didn't really notice it as much. Or uh, are we more needy today for that sort of a thing? That's a really interesting question. You know, one thing we haven't uh, spent a lot of time researching is the sort of the depression era generation, but my parents are actually from that generation. So okay. your grandpa, but my, my mom and dad, my, my mother is 98, my dad is 92. So they That's some have- some good genes right there. Yeah, too bad I'm adopted. <laughs> <laughs> By osmosis, we'll just, we'll just hope yeah. that you get that. Well, they say the whole nurture thing is like kind of winning out these days when you look at some of the research out there, right? So I'll claim that for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it was interesting. I think they did require progress, but I think it looked different then, mm, right? Okay. Um, so it's about what do you view as progress? So for my parents at one point in their life, it was just being able to secure employment that enabled you to not be stressed about money all the time mm. and, and being very appreciative of that and what that gave them and their family. Um, I think we've done a lot of interviews with millennials and they uh, progress is incredibly important with millennials and compared to baby boomers is so interesting. I, I was working with this insurance company and their more senior underwriters would say things to me like, well, it took me seven years to get to the point where I could have my own clients, right? My certain level of underwriting authority and, and they're just not being patient enough. You know, and mm. and the millennials were saying, yeah, but we know the work, we can do the work. Why should we have to just put in time? Right. Right. And they don't want to wait when it doesn't feel like there's a purpose to waiting. Um, and yeah. so I think I think millennials uh, have an expectation. Uh, in our research, is pretty clear that if they do the work and they are successful in the work they want a reward for that work in, and, and that reward to be in some way a sense of progress. It doesn't have to be a promotion. It doesn't even have to be more money. It might be things like leading a project, getting more exposure, you know, something that yeah. feels like progress to them. Um, and I think uh, many, not all, of course, of the baby boomers that I work with are a bit impatient about that. And I think it's just the world is moving at a much faster pace now than it did even 50 years ago. And so yeah. I think it's very logical that people's, the pace of progress that people are looking for, I think is evolving in the same way. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I don't think it's a, a value judgment I would place on whether the baby boomers are right about progress and the millennials are wrong. I don't think it's like that at all. What we've learned about passionate engagement is passion is incredibly subjective. You know, mm. what, is, what is it for you in terms of your source of meaning and your source of progress? And it's, it's one of the challenges for individuals to figure that out for themselves. Um, but it's also a challenge for leaders because 
they have to look after their own passion. Yeah. Because we also know that if leaders aren't passionate, it's harder for their teams. Yeah. Not impossible, but harder. Yeah. So they got to look after themselves. They have the whole idea of shared meaning and shared progress because, you know, groups and teams have to have some common ground when it comes to meeting and progress. Yeah. And then of course you have to deal with each person on your team. So it, it certainly can be challenging for leaders, even though it's so simple, meaning and progress, but you, because it's subjective, it's, it's, it can go in many different directions, right? Yeah, you're, you have to be an octopus with all these tentacles out different ways for meeting and progress if you're yeah. not careful. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting because it, it, uh, there is complexity and it's layered, but it really is simple when you're just trying to keep those two drivers of motivation, of passion, sort of visible to people, right? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about leaders being healthy themselves and, yeah. and uh, you know, our, our vitamin lead tagline is your healthy dose of leadership. So could you talk a little bit about healthy leadership? I, I found in my own life, like I, towards the end of 2018, I just came to a point where I hit just a, a wall. I wasn't taking good care of myself. I was leading a highly successful team, but I just was, I, I felt hollow at the end of that season. And it took my wife kind of shaking me by the shoulders a little bit saying, hey, you need to get back to reading books more, you know, breathing more, eating healthy, all that sort of stuff. And so um, I, I, it's, I see it so crucial, but I, I think you have a little bit more to say about that. And I'd love to hear more from you on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's very true. And I find that more and more I'm needing to have conversations with leaders about self-care mm. because I think there is almost guilt associated with uh, putting themselves first. Yeah. And yet when they don't, I clearly see it, the people around them, like their teams, their peers, bearing the brunt of that. And it's interesting when you're in that space, like you were saying, it took your wife to kind of say, hey, because when you're in that space, you don't really see it. You yeah. see it, you feel it, you feel it, but you, it's almost like you are trapped in how you're operating and how you're functioning. And it can be really hard to step back from that. Yeah. And what I find from a passion point of view is that leaders will be so focused on trying to satisfy other people's needs that they're not reflecting on their greatest sources of meaning and mm. the work and and the aspects of their career that give them the most joy and fulfillment and seeking that out in their work and maybe delegating more of the other work and that doesn't mean you're delegating work that no one wants to do guaranteed someone wants to do that. That's yes. part of the beauty of the diversity of it. And just understanding that it's okay for you to live in the place that is your greatest strength, probably, as well as area of joy. Those yeah. things are often aligned. And so as soon as leaders start doing that, you can just see the change in them. And then progress starts to fall into place because, you know, meaning is kind of the anchor, right? You, progress is relative to how meaningful the work is to you. And, and the other thing I would say to leaders, and, and this is a real challenge, one of the things we've learned in our research is 
one of the core drivers of passion at work is celebration. And mm. that's a word that often gets a lot of pushback, yeah. right? Like we don't have time to celebrate. I don't need to celebrate that people have convinced themselves that that's a nice to have. Right. But we actually know, I mean, this is robust research mm. that celebration is critical to passion. Mm. It is the differentiator. And to teach leaders to um, not just celebrate with their teams, that's great, but to pat themselves on the back and to make mm. sure that they acknowledge their achievements and accomplishments, their small wins, and, and to lighten, that, you know, lighten their, their load through celebration. Um, I think it's one of the healthiest, healthiest things you can do for yourself is to acknowledge what you have done, value what you have done, and, and not just, not in a serious way, but to, you know, pat yourself on the back, hit the staples easy button, do your funky monkey dance, like all these yeah. high five people, like just a little bit of lightness to it as well. So a celebratory feel, whatever is authentic to you. Everyone has to do it in their own way, but to do it, um, if the, it, it makes such a difference to your ability to be present for others, to sustain your passion and to sustain your health, frankly. Yeah. That's, I, I've seen that. I, I've been one of those doubters in the past. And one of the things, uh, I lead call center teams and uh, they, uh, they love potlucks for some reason. Like any, anytime something happens, they, the leaders do an amazing job of celebrating these potlucks together. And I didn't get it at first, but then I just started to watch. It's, it's a moment. It's uh, after a couple weeks of really hard work, it's a connection point where you get to get together and uh, just smile with somebody else. I think it just humanizes the environment, especially yeah. when you've been, you know, depending on, you know, are you in your cubicle staring at a screen, talking to someone on the other end of the phone all the time? And um, it can be really challenging to, to feel like what you do is actually um, connected to something bigger than you. And yeah. I think that celebration just connects us to something that is um, uh, bigger than us and, and um, it's a collective act. You can celebrate privately and that's great too. You know, you can have your own personal quiet celebrations, but there is also a social piece that's important. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important one. And, um, a, a, it is the most neglected thing, um, out of our, all the measures we have of all the, um, so we have meaning and progress, but we have underlying drivers that support meaning and progress and celebration is the one that's neglected the most. Hmm. And when I work with clients to say, okay, let's, we're going to come up with a plan on how you're going to celebrate more. It's, it's quite funny. Sometimes the reactions I get, it's, it's like, they don't know what happy hour <laughs> It's like, well, that's one thing, but there's loads of ways to celebrate, right? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's really think about it. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's so important. And it's not just to have social time. It's the other thing that's really important with celebration in terms of meaning and progress. If you think about it, um, you're not going to celebrate something that isn't meaningful in some way. And you're not going to celebrate something that hasn't had some kind of an impact. Hmm. So celebration yeah. just reinforces meaning and progress by its very nature. 
right? And so, yeah. um, I mean, it can't, it, it's got to be something that feels authentic. Like you were saying, you've, you've put in a hard two weeks of work um, and you just want to sort of say, yes, we did it. We got through it. We did it as a team and, you know, let's blow off some steam. Um, it can also be hitting milestones that, you know, people yeah. um, did individually or, or collectively. So, um, but it is one of the things that people have to be often have to be deliberate about because I have found more and more, it does depend on the client, but more and more people finish one thing and then they move on to the next. Yeah. You know, they don't take a break to reflect and appreciate and celebrate, right? It's just on to the next thing. So yeah. Um, in many cases, people have to really be thoughtful and, and even disciplined about celebration, which seems kind of like a weird thing to say, but to kind of No, go, I, I resonate <laughs> with that. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to move on to the next thing until we properly appreciate what we've just done. And, and I do think that's a discipline. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Like, I'm, I'm very growth-driven, but I'm also very goal-driven. And so you hit that goal, and then you're like, okay, what's the next horizon we're going to be chasing after? And so I got to be, I got to discipline myself and uh, make sure that the team's being taken care of. That's a very good, very good point. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people are like uh, you, me, and I had a business partner for a while. Uh, we did a, we had a sort of small company together, and we were doing leadership development work together, and you know, we'd come out of our two-day workshop and, you know, it was obviously very rewarding and satisfying. And we'd be on our way back to the hotel and I'd say, so Dave, I've got some ideas of what we could do better next time. <laughs> we hadn't even like left the training room yet, you know? And one day Dave sat down with me and he goes, Jacqueline, I just want to enjoy what just happened first. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, we'll talk about what we're going to change later, you know? And he was absolutely right, you know? He was absolutely right to just enjoy the moment, right? Enjoy the fruits of your labor and, uh, you know, the, the lessons learned or the continuous improvement cycles can come later. <laughs> absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. Is is I know you have a you have a new book coming out later this year. Is this some of the stuff that you're talking about in that yes. new book? Yeah, it is. So the book is called The Passion Mindset, and uh, because so much of what I've learned over the last twenty years of looking at passionate engagement is that uh, how you view and how you locate meaning and progress is really at the heart of it. Yes, there are very tangible things that you can do as a leader to structure things for people and to support people. But at the end of the day, so much of it is just how you mine for meaning and progress yourself. But we have all of our research in there. We have loads of tips and strategies. It's very much um, driven by best practices and what we know has worked in the, in the various organizations that we've been a part of. That's awesome. Like, I can't wait to read it. Um, how, how can our listeners, how can they connect with you next? Well, our main website is sparkengagementindex.com. Okay. Sparkengagementindex.com. And Jacqueline Troop Robinson on LinkedIn finds me as well. And those are our two main ways of reaching people and people finding us. Awesome. We'll make sure to put those links in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, TJ. Absolutely. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you, you know, uh, meaning and progress, man. Those are two things I'm just going to be, they're probably just going to be rolling in my head like a wheel for the next days, weeks and stuff like that. That's so. the magic formula. If you want passion. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's good. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we hope you have a good evening and stay healthy leaders and we will talk to you soon.